maroon and bold. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Maroon and Bold podcast. I'm Central Michigan Life Sports Editor Christian Boer. We got an action-packed episode for you. The CMU gymnastics team won its 17th Mid-American Conference title, and our plan was to lead off the show with a great interview with Ryan Kaloris. However, after we finished recording the, the interview, it you know the audio got corrupted. So we're going to try again with Ryan next week. Still got plenty of uh, information for you on this week's episode. We've talked with football beat reporter Sean Chase about spring football and Central Michigan's Pro Day. And then we welcome on Megan Youngblood to talk some wrestling as well as some softball. And Ashley Berkness also for some softball. So stick around and feel free to give us a a like or a comment, um, a review, wherever you may be listening. And as always, thanks so much. And without any further ado, here's this week's Maroon and Bold. All right, now we welcome on Mr. Sean Chase, our women's basketball reporter. That season's over. Um, Sean's going to be working on some football stuff with us through the spring. Um, and spring ball has officially started. So we've got a lot to talk about here on the football front. Um, we'll start with the pro day. Um, Sean and I made the trek over to the indoor athletic complex um, on a Tuesday morning, about what, 8.30 in the morning? Yes, sir. And um, got to take in the pro day. It was both of our first pro day experiences. Um, had the pro day in 2020, which had been my freshman year, uh, canceled due to COVID. And then last year they had, they didn't really have any draft prospects. Um, they held kind of like a closed workout type thing. Um, that's not the case anymore. Um, there were scouts from all 32 NFL teams, uh, some CFL teams, that sort of thing. Um, essentially just football guys from all over the place uh, were in the IAC with us. Um, Sean, what were kind of your first takeaways uh, from the pro day experience? Uh, my biggest takeaway was the way that Bernard Raymond moves. He is incredibly athletic for being six foot seven, 305 pounds. Watching him run drills was incredible. And then I can't forget seeing Khalil Pimpleton be excited to go outside and receive punts in the snow. That just, I'll never forget that moment. Arms spread as he came out into Kelly Short Stadium and let it go. Yeah, no, that was super cool. And that's something that you don't see at every pro day, right? Um, You know, as I've kind of followed the, I've never really been big into uh, the NFL draft um, as far as like pro days and stuff like that. Obviously, um, I know NFL Network does a lot of coverage, and if I see one, I'll throw it on. But, um, no, that, it was crazy. Um, you know, you occasionally see teams send representatives to work guys out. And, essentially, the uh, – <laughs> I mean, that was the case. Uh, in Mount Pleasant, uh, you had Detroit Lions offensive line coach Hank Fraley, who was there um, doing the offensive line stuff. You mentioned Bernard Raymond, man. He, like – you know, covered the guy for three years and with limited access and stuff like that, you don't really get to see him up close and personal too much. That's a big dude. That's a very yeah. big human being uh, shook hands with him, his hands. It's almost like they swallowed mine whole. He's just a big guy. 
Um, but no, they and then and then the Khalil Pippleton thing, and that's the main thing I wanted to touch on from Pro Day. Um, he's out in the snow, right? Um, kind of got hit with a little snow shower. I mean, what time did he go out there? About 10 o'clock. Um, yeah. 10 30. And he's out there in the snow. We're all standing out there. Um, also, shout out to the to the Central Michigan wide receiver core. Um, some guys that we saw out there just supporting their supporting their teammates, supporting their guy KP. Um, looked like Finn Hogan, LeVar Gums, a couple of those guys were out there uh, cheering on Khalil. Um, and he did a good job. I mean, I think he only dropped one punt in the conditions, which is crazy, uh, considering all the different workouts they had him doing. He, he was started out by just catching them traditionally. They had him working toward the sideline a little bit. Um, then, then they started him with his back to the punter. He had turned around and find the ball. And then uh, the last one was he started with one ball in his hand. Um, and then he had to catch the punt with his other hand, his left hand. Um, so it was, it was an interesting workout, Sean. How do you, how would you evaluate his performance? The circumstances and the conditions, like you said, he, I think he dropped one punt. I would say that was everything he wanted. Doing it in front of Joe Judge and the Patriots amplifies it even more. But when they had him put a ball in his hand and start catching the punts with his left hand, I thought we were going to see horrible things unfold because that's not something you prepare for. And Pimpleton took it in stride and killed it. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. He uh, he did a great job. Um, and I'm, I'm intrigued to see where, where that – little relationship between him and the Patriots goes because, um, you know, if you followed new England ever, you know, that number one, they love their special teams. Uh, Bill Belichick is this kind of a special teams guy. Um, read a book on him. Shout out to, I believe it's Ian O'Connor who wrote the Belichick book. Um, you know, he was a special teams guy, right. And then he switched to defensive coordinator and then eventually became the head coach of the Patriots. Um, and then Joe judge as well, who was there who was in Mount Pleasant and he uh, he was the one running the workout. So they, they, there's a premium on special teams in new England. And I think that uh, you look at guys like Wes Welker and Julian Edelman, um, you know, there's just a mold there that I think Khalil Pimpleton fits. Um, so I would not be surprised at all if on draft day, um, sixth, seventh round, you see his name pop up. Right. So um, it'd be very interesting to follow that, but, on another note, the Chippewas opened spring practice over the weekend. March 19th was their first spring practice date. Um, had media availability with, with head coach Jim McElwain. And a lot of that conversation was dominated by the newer guys, right? You're not going to see everybody that they've brought in because um, in order to participate in spring ball, you have to be enrolled. Um, so a lot of these 2022 commits, you won't see them until the summer. Um, but still a handful of new faces. Um, but I think the biggest one is, is the return of Kobe Lewis. And Kobe Lewis is not with the team right now. He's, he's rehabbing his knee injury in Atlanta. Um, you know, he's from the Georgia, uh, Atlanta area. Um, but Sean, we talked to Mac Wayne about the possibilities of uh, him and Lou Nichols, who, by the way, is the, the nation's leading rusher in 2021, um, playing together and uh, seeing the field together. Um, what was kind of your impression of what he had to say and, and what that might look like for CMU's offense? The way that he talks about it, uh, he seems to think that's going to be a very powerful attack, which when you've got the nation's leading rusher, 
You can bind with anybody. It's going to be powerful. Not having Kobe Lewis last year, I feel like they were able to work around and move some players into the running back room. I think now the fact that they've got him and Lou Nichols is going to be a one-two punch that people dream about. It's, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be super interesting to see how they make that work. Um, and part of the, part of the uh, movements that they've done to kind of accommodate that is they've moved a couple of running backs to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Darius Bracey, who was a defensive back, and then he converted to running back in the COVID season 2020 because they were short uh, on numbers at that position, stayed there in 2021. He's now going to be back in the secondary. Um, and then DJ Stepney, who saw some action in the backfield as a true freshman in 2021, played in four games, so he's going to keep his redshirt. Um, he's going to be a redshirt freshman this season. He also is going to be moving to the defensive backfield. Standout corner slash safety when he was in high school at Dakota High School. Um, those two guys are going to add some much-needed depth after, you know, kind of an exodus in the uh, defensive back room. Obviously, Gage Kresge. Uh, graduating, Alonzo McCoy graduating, then Devonnie Reed transferring to South Carolina. Sean, when you look at the defensive back room, how much of a, I don't want to say necessity, um, is the move for those two backs into the, to the secondary, but on the same card, it kind of is much needed, right? Because you, they weren't able to, at least not now, address those needs uh, at safety through the portal. Um, but then again, like you got to sometimes make lemonade when you, when you've been given the lemons and two dudes who are super good athletes and, um, you know, very versatile, uh, and, and they're able to move them out there. So I guess what's kind of your impression, um, of the decision to move those two guys and what, um, do you think those two can do for the Chippewas on defense? I think it was a good decision the way that McElwain explained it, that that's a crowded room and especially the running back room to be able to switch one, you know, they got speed. If you can play running back, yep. you can play DB and the versatility. They know how to secure the ball because they played on the offensive side of the ball. They're going to bring that to the secondary, hopefully snag a couple of picks, but to be able to have some security in the back end, when you've got Dante Kent, who is a good corner, I think going to help. CMU's defense, but also I've I've never seen Bracey play in the secondary. So I don't know what that transition is going to be. I mean, when he played in 2019, uh, the year they went to the Mac West or they won the Mac West and went to the title game, um, he was probably their uh, I mean, obviously Kyron McKinney Harper was far and away probably the top young corner in that room, but you had Montre Braswell out there who's, who's since transferred and is like a FCS All-American at Missouri State. Um, but then Bracey was probably the, the corner number three out there. He saw a lot of playing time, started a handful of games as part of that rotation. And I think he's going to probably see some more time at safety, I would have to imagine, because, um, you know, your cornerback room with Dante Kent and Dade Hill, and um, they're going to get Dante Kent's brother, Ronald Kent, who was um, – a standout at Western Carolina um, in the summer. Yeah, in the summer, um, he didn't enroll this spring. But you know, it's going to be super interesting to see how they make all those moves work. I think Stepney is probably going to be a safety for sure. Um, you know, he was a safety in high school, uh, very versatile, and I think I think he's going to see some playing time as well fairly early, just because that safety room is so 
uh, devoid of depth. I mean, you had Trey Jones play um, quite a bit last year, but that was very much a senior upperclassman dominated room. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Um, Sean, as you look at the roster, we've, you know, heading into the spring, maybe who's one or two guys who you're looking for to maybe show an uptick in production or maybe somebody who's going to have a bigger role than they had last year? The main person that I'm looking at, and he was he had a big role last year, so this might not be jumping off a limb, but I'm excited to see the jump that Kyle Moretti takes because as a, he was all over the field for them the last five games that I was covering the team. I think that he's going to be a monster. And I do think if you if you can get a good middle linebacker, somebody who can eat up the run, that's going to take pressure off the secondary. And that's going to be a question going into the season. Yeah, I think that's a great pick. Um, loved Kyle Moretti last year. He's just a guy who loves football, really good instincts, um, and, and is a hard hitter. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how he jumps. You know, Troy Brown transferred, George Douglas transferred. So you'd have to imagine that Moretti probably just steps into a starting role from day one. Um, got a lot of playing time last year, so experience isn't an issue. Um, just super excited to see what he does uh, through the spring and then into, into next season. Um, for mine, I, I have a couple. Um, you know, I think that you got to start this list with somebody like um, Tyson Davis, who was projected to kind of be the Khalil Pimpleton 2.0 last year, suffered a knee injury in the season opener against Missouri. Um, and, and you can kind of throw Finn Hogan into that mix right there. Anybody who listens to this podcast consistently and follows me knows that I've been kind of the conductor of the Finn Hogan hype train since he stepped on campus, right? Super fast. Guys at 6'4 shouldn't be able to run as well as Finn Hogan does. State champ in track in high school. Um, super physical. And, and, you know, I just kind of had a hunch about him when he committed as a walk-on last year, last uh, summer. And then, you know, in the fall, you're hearing the, the wide receivers coach, Alvin Slaughter, speak highly of him. And you start to think that maybe that this hunch that I have is justified. And then he comes out and plays significant reps against Missouri. And he, like Tyson Davis, suffers an injury. Um, you know, he was able to heal up, but they, they kind of limited him late in the year so that they could preserve his red shirt. Um, but with Ja'Cory Sullivan gone, you have to imagine that Finn Hogan's going to play a big role. And with Khalil Pimpleton gone, Tyson Davis is probably going to play a big role too. Um, so those two redshirt freshman wideouts are two guys I've got my eye on. And then on defense, uh, Trey Jones. I, I mentioned him earlier, but with the safeties gone, he is now like the upperclassman leader in that room. So you have to be um, imagining a, a pretty big role for Trey Jones on the defensive side. He's another guy that's been spoken highly of. Guys like Rob Aiki and Michael Zordich have both talked about uh, Trey Jones as a guy who can be a pretty big contributor uh, moving forward. Uh, but it's going to be super fun to follow this team through the spring, and then um, I'm sure they'll have a spring game or open practice or something along those lines that we can cover at some point down the road. But, Sean, any other thoughts as Central Michigan kicks off its 2022 excuse me, season um, moving forward? Just like you said, I'm excited to see what comes with this team. I think they've built a good court. And that wide receiver room, that's my biggest question mark. Can players step up in the roles of Sullivan and Pimpleton? If they can, they're going to get another MAC championship. 
No doubt. No doubt. Well, we're going to have plenty of spring football coverage for you throughout the spring and then in the, into the summer and the fall as well. We'll have plenty of football stuff um, and you can find it all on our website, cm-life.com. Before we go, though, I did want to I almost forgot to touch on the new coaching staff hires. Um, Chippewa's bringing five guys, two guys to help out with the recruiting department, Chris Kelly and Ryan McNamara. And then three guys on kind of the on-field personnel roles. Um, offensive line coach William Vallejos, who's going to have a tough time filling the shoes of Mike Cummings, obviously a guy who was beloved here at CMU, built so many offensive linemen who have gone on to have good careers in the NFL, namely Joe Staley, Eric Fisher, uh, two guys in, in Raymond and Luke Gedeke, who probably headed down that same road. Um, so they're, they're going to miss him. Um, but Vallejos was a guy who played at Alabama um, when Jim McElwain was there. Um, he last coached at Colorado. Really interested to see what he brings to the offensive line room. Um, Tom Mason, who will hold the assistant head coach role, uh, vacated by Tim Skipper, as well as the off or the, excuse me, the linebackers role, linebackers coach role that was vacated by Skipper, um, was. You know, just about anywhere you could imagine, right? He was in the XFL when that was a thing, was in the AAF when that was a thing. Um, and then a, the variety of different stops along the way um, in college. And now he's going to come coach CMU's linebackers and be the assistant head coach, a guy that coached with Jim McElwain. Um, they kind of got their coaching starts together in at Eastern Washington. McElwain was a player. Mason was a graduate assistant, um, and that was way down the line. So a lot of ties between the two of them. And then the third uh, on-field guy, probably the biggest hire of the offseason for CMU, Paul Petrino, former head coach at Iowa, struggled there. Um, he's the brother of Bobby Petrino, who's been a head coach everywhere. He's currently the head coach at Missouri State. Um, Paul Petrino is going to be the offensive coordinator, filling the role of Kevin Barbe who in his one season as offensive coordinator just ignited the Chippewa offense. Um, you know, Lou Nichols being the leading rusher in the country, uh, Daniel Richardson's breakout year, KP did a bunch of big things, Ja'Cory Sullivan was huge, and a lot of that's thanks to the schemes that Kevin Barbe drew up. So be interesting to see where the Chippewa offense goes from there. But, Sean, um, what was your initial impressions of the, uh, the three hires – Obviously not a ton you can say because we haven't spoke to them, but just when you look at the the numbers and the resumes of these different coaches, what do you think? Resume wise, they're all incredibly impressive. Some team or some of the coaches have had losing seasons along their run, but they've got, he's bringing in dudes with 40 plus years of experience. It's not like he's bringing in some new guys. Vallejos on the offensive line, I like that you mentioned backing up what Cummings has done. He's bringing a handful of rings into Mount Pleasant. That's going to help a little bit. It's going to be hard to repeat, but I'm the biggest thing that I want to see if it can swing for CMU is the hire of Chris Kelly. He's a Michigan native. He's played in Michigan. I would like to see Central Michigan lock up the Michigan recruiting pipeline, and I feel like that's a great move. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. Um, with with Central Michigan, you know, they kind of have that Florida pipeline. Um, they've got a number of guys out of Florida, but I think when you really look at the recruiting footprint, you got to lock down your home state, right? You got to lock down your backyard. 
Um, it's kind of like um, when you're a parent, right? You want to make sure you develop your kids. You got to make sure you lock down your backyard, maybe put a fence around it. And um, that's what you're trying to do, right? When you're trying to grow a good program, you want to make sure that you're getting the best guys possible in your state. Obviously, the really good players, um, the five stars, they want to go to Michigan. They want to go to Michigan State. Uh, but those mid-level three-star guys who maybe are overlooked or maybe they just don't get the shine that other these other players do, you want them to come to Central Michigan. And so with Chris Kelly being a guy who has Detroit roots, um, that sort of thing, right? He coached at Wayne State. It's going to be huge. And I think that's one thing, you know, it goes overlooked how good of a job Albert Karshnia did when he was the recruiting yeah. coordinator here at CMU. Um, from, from a various amount of perspectives, I mean, you look at how he was able to interact with people on social media and he kind of had that little graphic that he would put out so that fans knew a commitment was coming or so that people would just be aware of what was going on in Mount Pleasant. And that footprint, um, social media is everything these days, right? Kids want to have cool graphics when they commit somewhere. They want to have highlight tapes that are cool. And I think Karshnia did a very good job. And, and looking at Chris Kelly's resume, you have to imagine that's going to be um, a lot of the same. So very intrigued as to where he goes with the program. And then, like you said, man, that the coaching staff is all about experience. And I think that now Central Michigan has a really good balance of young and, and experienced guys um, you look at guys like maybe Tavita Thompson, who has just been promoted to passing game coordinator, um, still relatively young in the profession, um, you know, working with tight ends. And now he's going to be overseeing really the whole passing game. Um, so I'm, in, I'm interested to see what the, what the offense looks like this year when you combine the, the talents of Tavita Thompson and Paul Petrino as well as, um, you know, maybe a young guy like Elvin Slaughter, who was a high school head coach, a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm with him. Guys want to play for people like Elvin Slaughter. Um, and then you just throw in the experience of guys like Tom Mason and Petrino and Vallejos who have been there, done that. And just you walk into the room and everybody stops and stares because you just know the amount of respect that those guys have, the amount of work that they've put in. Um, and kind of the notoriety that they have. So interesting coaching staff for sure. Um, Going to be real, real intriguing for the Chippewas as they really try to build off five straight wins to end the season. And, and without a doubt, the, probably the favorite to win the Mac West. Um, but in this Mid-American Conference, I think it's, gosh, I don't even know the last time the preseason favorite won the Mac West. So everything's up in the air. It's going to be super interesting. But Sean and I will have it all for you here. Um, Sean, any parting thoughts before we go? I'm good. You've wrapped that thing up perfectly. <laughs> awesome. You, hey, you can follow Sean on Twitter at underscore Sean Chase. You can find his work by heading over to the website, cm-life.com, clicking on the sports tab and scrolling down to the football tab. There'll be a lot of stuff there from Sean. Sean's done an excellent job for us. He's going to be doing a little bit of baseball stuff. Um, as well, but but for Sean, you know we're focusing on football uh, as we ramp up towards next All right, season. We now welcome um, on um, our but Sean. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Megan Youngblood Thank and you Ashley Berkness. Uh, the two of them have been working kind of together on softball. Um, Ashley's kind of had her own little beat come to an end with the men's basketball. Megan with wrestling as well, and that's where I want to start. I want to start with wrestling um, because. They just wrapped up the NCAA championship. Central Michigan had four wrestlers there. 
Um, Megan, just what were kind of your uh, impressions on the wrestlers' performance? We can just kind of go one by one, starting with Matt Stencil, uh, because it, it kind of looked coming in like he had the best chance at maybe being an All-American based on seeding and, and what have you. So uh, with Stencil, just how did he do on over the weekend and uh, what were kind of your takeaways? Oh, well, he finished two and two with, um, he opened winning. He won his first match and got him going. And then he fell into like the elimination consultation bracket. And I think he just kind of lost his momentum. And I think it was going to come at some point, which sucks. Cause like, you know, he was, dominating all season but uh I think he might just lost his momentum and just it got a little too much which kind of sucks but I mean like there's not much you can do and I think he did his best and he does still leave behind quite the legacy here at CMU yeah no doubt there's no doubting um his impact on the wrestling program with five uh conference titles uh believe a couple of all American selections in there as well uh I I guess I shouldn't say selections because that's performance-based uh, so shame on me, but um, moving along, they had another senior out there, uh, Dresden Simon. Simon slipped up at the MAC championships, which cost him a higher seed. Um, but what was your uh, takeaways from his performance? Uh, Simon was out for blood, definitely, because he <laughs> fell off kind of the MAC tournament. And I think that really motivated him. But I just like, same thing with Stencil, I think he just kind of fell short. And I think the MAC tournament, ending might have been a little bit in his head like he was I don't say like working too hard for it but like it became too much and like made him crumble a little bit like that sounds really bad but I he still ended up going two and two along with stencil which I mean is not horrible I mean he lost his all-american honors chance but I still think it's a good way to go out I mean he was able to get in and um, still wrestle his heart out yeah um, then two young guys, and we can kind of talk about these two together. Uh, Corbin Munson and Johnny Lovett, um, for some reason. I was blanking on his name. Um, <laughs> but, no, those two, um, again, they didn't get All-American. They kind of struggled. But also it's their first uh, time on that national stage. And, you know, still, I think I believe Corbin Munson has one more year. And then Lovett was just a redshirt freshman. So uh, those two are going to kind of be the core of next year's team. Um, but what do you think can be learned from going out there and, and performing at this stage, um, kind of moving along toward the future? Um, I think they can both learn that, like, they're capable of getting here and being leaders for their team, especially with Stencil and Simon being gone next season. And that, like, they they have the heart and they have the determination and the focus. It's just they kind of just got to be a little bit better wrestling-wise. You know, like, I don't think they really did anything – too terribly wrong but they just need to keep pushing and that they need to step up and be leaders even though they are still both young I think that's the biggest thing that they need is that they're capable and that they have big shoes to fill but they're not as big as they probably seemed yeah so just to recap real quick before you get into some softball talk Central Michigan sends four wrestlers to the NCAA championships nobody gets all American but I believe everybody won at least one match yeah um, so, yeah, stuff to build on. Obviously not the way that the seniors wanted their careers to, to end, but um, still a lot of promise within that CMU wrestling program. Um, now we can kind of uh, talk to both of you about softball and what's been going on there. Um, they began MAC play over the weekend. They went to Akron and went 2-1, and one, so a solid start. Ashley, we can start with you. Just 
What were your takeaways um, from softball's weekend as they began Mid-American Conference play? I thought it went really well. The first game was a little rough, but I think with like the rain delay, I think that kind of like they were already down in the before the rain delay. So I don't think that helped them at all. Um, but the last two games, it went very well. The bats were on fire. But I thought it went very well. I'm excited to see where it goes. That's good. That's good. Um, Megan, with with this CMU Chippewa team, obviously, and you and I have talked about it, um, they've just been through so much already. They've been through a ton. Um, but that leader, Shannon Stein, has kind of established herself as the leader, uh, senior kind of captain. Um, just what are your thoughts on, on Shannon Stein's performance so far? Uh, hit a ton of home runs. Um, and, and what kind of value does it have when you have that senior who is stepping up and leading by example? Um, yeah, she's definitely leading the team. She's got, I think, eight home runs on the season so far. And I just think it really, it sets a tone for what the team is and what the team needs to be and knowing that they have her stepping up and taking a leadership role because she is a senior this year. So I think she kind of wants to go out in style with everything and she's doing just that. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Ashley, the pitching um, kind of looks like Grace Leto has stepped up and became kind of that ace. Um, Caitlin Britton has also pitched pretty well. Yeah. And then they've had some young freshmen who have contributed as well. Um, just kind of who've stuck out to you on the pitching side of things and, and where, how far do you think that CMU's pitching can take this year's team? So Caitlin Bean has spent a lot of time on the mound um, she starts a lot and I think she does very well, but then I think this weekend she struggled a little bit in that first game and, but they had some relief from, you know, Maddie Wallace and Caitlin Britton and then Grace Leto, she just, she, she just shined in that second game. She had like 10 strikeouts and I think she's kind of, she's got like a lot of potential with this team. And I think that they, her pitching can take them very far. Yeah, um, that pitching is a luxury that in, in softball it's important to have, right? Because, you know, you see pitchers work a lot deeper in the games than maybe with baseball, um, you know, and some guys maybe go four innings, five innings. As for softball, you may just be leaning on one arm for an entire game, and that same arm could, like if you have a doubleheader, you could see the same pitcher twice um, throughout the two games. Yeah. So just what – I, I guess kind of piggybacking and either one of you can answer this, just how important is that to have so many reliable arms that have kind of established themselves in the early part of this season? Uh, I think it's really important because like when you do have those bad games, you know, you have a teammate that can like pick you up and bring the team kind of back together. And it just really makes the team a lot better. Cause like, you don't want to think about having bad game, but you know, when you're about to have, when you're like having one, there's a teammate that's like, I'm going to come in for you. I got you. And like you said, with doubleheaders, you are going to probably see the same arms, but um, there's a different variety and different style of pitching too that I think that they all bring. And that's something that when you're facing a lot of different teams or especially facing teams, oh, like three times over a week in like Akron, you see different arms and you see like, they're not going to pick up on your, your team's style of play because it's very different with each pitcher. And I think that's a key thing is that we don't have the same pitcher every game. Yeah, Grace Leto, I think, is our ace, but Caitlin Bean coming in and doing all that, and Maddie Wallace, it just brings a different 
level of different gameplay. Yeah. Um, and then last question, and again, either one of you can take this one, but um, freshmen, everybody wants to know about the freshmen, the future of the program, that sort of thing. Who have been a couple of freshmen who have stepped up and, and really contributed? I know that um, just from reading your guys' stuff, looks like um, Maddie Wallace sometimes steps onto the mound. And then Alyssa Hollow, I know with the way she started the season, I think she had two pinch at-bats and one of them was a home run and one of them was a double or something like that. Um, but just kind of your thoughts on those two and any other freshmen that have stuck out to you as well. Um, yeah, I've noticed Maddie Springer. She's had a lot of success at the plate, and I think that she's kind of like that quiet player. When she, when you need her, she'll be there and she'll produce some great stuff. Yeah, um, softball off to a promising start. I'm excited to see where this team goes under head coach McCall Salmon. Um, if you're looking to find the work of Ashley and Megan, you can see it on Twitter. Megan is at MeganYB10. Ashley's at Ash Berkness. And if you don't feel like going on Twitter, then just head over to our website, cm-life.com. Click sports and scroll down to the softball tab. Um, plenty of stuff there to be read as well. But Ashley, Megan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank of you. course.